Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, William Hummel and the Montgomery murders. But first, your true crime headlines. A Milwaukee mother is facing a charge of first-degree reckless homicide for the shooting death of her two-year-old daughter. Witnesses heard a gunshot around 7.30 p.m. last Tuesday and watched as 22-year-old Jasmine Daniels ran outside holding her child. First responders were called, and witnesses helped perform CPR before paramedics arrived, but the two-year-old girl was pronounced dead en route to the emergency room. At the hospital, Daniels was interviewed by police. That's where prosecutors said that she began to offer multiple stories about what happened leading up to the shooting. First, she said that she heard three to four gunshots while walking outside of her home. Daniels then told police that her three-year-old son accidentally got her gun and shot his sister. Police said that when they searched the home, they found cocaine, a digital scale, a gun magazine, unspent bullets, multiple cell phones, and other items, but not the gun in question. When Daniels was interviewed again, she told investigators that an unknown man came into the basement and was cleaning a gun when it fired and he ran away. During the multiple interviews, prosecutors said that Daniels was uncooperative, refusing to identify any of the other individuals that lived in the upstairs portion of the residence. Daniels also denied that her boyfriend and father of her two children was at the residence at the time. According to police, after numerous interviews, Daniels finally admitted that it was she who was playing with the gun when it discharged. Daniels then broke down and started to cry, admitting, quote, I accidentally did it. When interviewing Daniels' three-year-old son, detectives asked him what happened. The boy said, Nuck Nuck hurt the two-year-old girl. When asked what her three-year-old calls her, Daniels replied, Nuck Nuck. If convicted, Daniels could face up to 60 years in prison. Cash bond was set at $100,000. She is due back in court on August 4th for her preliminary hearing. Police have not said if any other arrests have been made. In Washington, D.C., a woman who has been missing for over a week is now presumed dead, and D.C. police have charged her boyfriend with her murder even as they continue to search for the woman's body. The victim, 34-year-old Olga Oru, was discovered missing on July 18th after someone noticed her 7-year-old son wandering a hallway alone and crying in their apartment. She had last been seen shortly after midnight on July 17th. Her boyfriend, 55-year-old Darnell Sterling, was arrested Thursday night and charged with her murder. Police said that surveillance video shows a man who fits Sterling's description, pushing a cart into an elevator and out of the building. Inside the cart was a large object, which police said appeared to be wrapped in a blue and white blanket and was, quote, consistent with the size of an adult human being. Police said that a cadaver dog alerted to possible human remains in the victim's apartment in the hallway near her door and in the front passenger seat of the suspect's car. Oru's cell phone, purse, apartment key fob, and bed sheets are also missing. 
At his initial appearance, Sterling's court-appointed attorney argued that there is no evidence that Oru is dead and that police searched Sterling's car without a warrant. But Assistant U.S. Attorney Michael Liebman argued that Sterling was a risk to the community and should be detained. Darnell Sterling has nearly a dozen former convictions, including for assault and theft, and had violated a court order barring him from being in contact with Oru after she complained to police in April that he punched her in the face during an argument. Assault charges are pending against Sterling in that case. On Friday, a D.C. Superior Court judge ordered Sterling detained. His hearing is set for August 26th. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, William Hummel. But first, a quick break. Social distancing can get pretty lonely. So now, more than ever, I need my best fiends. Best Fiends is the app that engages my brain with challenging but fun puzzle games. A crime is like a puzzle. Each connection helps reveal the big picture, and it's a thrill to put it all together. So when I'm not thinking about true crime, my brain still craves a challenge, and that's why I love Best Fiends. The game is simple. The good guys are the bugs, and the bad guys are the slugs. Complete the puzzles to defeat the slugs as you travel through the world of minutia, collecting keys and unlocking new fiends along the way. Like Brittle the Housefly, Edward the Mosquito, Gordon the Scorpion, and my best fiend, Pop the Axolotl. One of the things that I love about true crime is that the more you dig into a story, the more layers you uncover. And that's what's great about best fiends, too. The more you play, the more fun it gets, and with new monthly updates, themed challenges, and holiday puzzles, the adventure never gets old. This is my pandemic must-play, so the next time you need a break from the news cycle, download Best Fiends free. With new levels, events, and characters added every month, it's hours of fun at your fingertips, and can even be played offline. With over 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews, Best Fiends is a must-download. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Everyone has a story to share. And if you're creative, you know how frustrating it can be to finish editing only to have to format and reformat for every platform. Streamline your creative process and remove the complexity with Issue. Issue is the all-in-one platform that helps transform your images, text, videos, and PDFs into ready-to-publish content. To share across every digital platform in every format for every device. They make content look amazing wherever you post, exactly how you envision it. Issue saves me hours of reformatting. With Issue, make it once, and it's ready to post everywhere. Issue can even help you make animated Instagram stories and GIFs. Issue is perfect 
for creators, marketers, designers, educators, publishers, salespeople, or anyone that just wants to make eye-catching content. So whether you're a pro or just trying to level up your social media, Issue is the platform that can help you take it to the next level. And best of all, it's free to get started with Issue. Just go to issue.info slash murderminute to sign up for your free account. That's issuu.info slash murderminute to sign up and let them know that you heard about them through our show. Remember, that's .info.com. Do what you do best and let Issue handle the rest. Go to issue.info slash murderminute and set up your free account today. Welcome back to Murder Minute. On November 10th, 1899, 50-year-old William Hummel married 30-year-old Sarah Frances Yeagle Delaney. Sarah was a recent widow. Her late husband, Oliver Delaney, had reportedly died after being kicked by a horse. Sarah was left with their three children. The oldest was seven-year-old John, the next was five-year-old Olive, and the youngest was Florence, an infant barely one year old. Nobody in town, including Sarah, knew much about William Hummel, save that he was a mostly illiterate rag peddler who, like many men his age, had served in the Civil War, and that he lived in a simple four-room wooden farmhouse at the edge of town in an area known as Black Hole Hollow. After their brief courtship and a swift marriage, the now Mrs. Hummel and her three children moved into William's house just outside of Montgomery, Pennsylvania. But sometime a week later, people started to notice that Sarah wasn't around and Hummel's farmhouse had gone strangely quiet for a home with three children. It appeared to be unoccupied. Rumors spread around town, but it wasn't until November 23rd, when a laborer named John Mock happened to be passing by a field and noticed a bloody scrap of burlap that the neighbors began to get suspicious. As a farmer, Mock thought little of the bloody bit of fabric. Most everyone in those parts slaughtered their own chickens and pigs. But when another neighbor, Hiram Wortman, saw the blood, he felt uneasy. He had heard rumors of the family's sudden disappearance and alerted his friend Jerry Kemery to his discovery, and the two men decided to take the bloody burlap to the constable. William E. Myers. Constable Myers agreed that something wasn't right. The three men returned to investigate. 25 feet from the public road, they noticed a bundle of hay that appeared to have been disturbed. Inside the haystack, they discovered the body of seven-year-old John. When they dug deeper into the hay, they found his mother, Sarah. She was wearing her nightgown, and her face 
had been beaten in. A few yards away, they found five-year-old Olive, hidden under a piece of burlap. The right side of her head was crushed. From their condition, it appeared that the victims had been dead for two weeks. Sarah and her children had been brutally murdered just one week after she was married. When investigators entered the Hummel House, a little over a mile from where the bodies were found, they found blood splatter across the walls upstairs and the mattresses. Baby Florence was still missing, and so was Sarah's husband, William Hummel. The townspeople of Montgomery were convinced that he was the killer that they were looking for. Hummel had last been seen at a barber shop getting a shave, hours before the bloody burlap was found. A posse was formed, and at around 1 a.m., armed with guns and rope, they set after him. At around 6.30 a.m. on Saturday, November 25th, William Hummel was having breakfast with John Russell and his family at their farm in Allenwood when Constable Myers, Jerry Kemery, George Durer, and Harry McCormick, armed with revolvers, kicked in their door. Hummel was arrested for the murder of his wife and stepchildren and was taken back to Montgomery, where he pleaded not guilty. Upon viewing the remains of his wife and two stepchildren, Hummel reportedly showed no emotion and denied that it was his family. But when a neighbor positively identified Sarah's body, Hummel said, Hmm, it does look a little something like her, doesn't it? Hummel was transported to the Lycoming County Prison in Williamsport to await his trial. The people of Montgomery wanted to see him hanged as swiftly as possible. Newspapers reported that residents of both Montgomery and Williamsport threw bottles and rocks, cursed and spit on Hummel all the way from the train station to the prison. The bodies of Sarah and her children were laid to rest with her first husband, Oliver, in the Stone Church Cemetery in Montgomery. Hundreds of mourners were in attendance. Investigators learned that in the six days before the bodies were discovered, Hummel had been acting strange. According to witnesses, he appeared to have something on his mind. According to the Gazette and Bulletin, it was reported that he wouldn't sleep in his home, and that he had even asked someone to go and get some of his clothes for him. At first, William Hummel told detectives that a man named Harry Smith had a wife who was sick and had asked Sarah and her children to come help take care of her. Hummel claimed that Smith was the real father of Sarah's infant daughter Florence, and that Smith murdered Sarah, John, and Olive, and took the baby away. Hummel also claimed that he had given his wife $9.50, worth 
roughly $300 today, and that Smith had killed her for the money. According to the Sunbury Gazette, this was Hummel's story. Last Thursday night a week ago, I and my wife made sauerkraut. After we finished, my wife took the three children upstairs and put them to bed. She returned to the lower floor, and then we had something to eat. While enjoying the lunch, a stranger drove up to the home and was admitted after rapping. He and my wife appeared to be acquainted. He requested her to go with him to his home at Kelly Cross Roads, Union County, where he said his wife was sick, and he wanted my wife to nurse the woman. My wife agreed, and it was arranged that she could take the children along. I was told the man's name was Harry Smith. My wife dressed herself up finely in a brown dress and neglected to dress the children, whom she put in the wagon in their nightclothes. But the blood evidence in the Hummel house told a very different story. One Williamsport reporter who was taking notes cleverly pretended that he knew a Harry Smith and made up a description of the man. Yes, Hummel replied, taking the bait. That's him, exactly. As news of the murders spread across the country, details about William Hummel's past began to emerge. He was born in Montersville in 1849, and when the Civil War broke out, enlisted in a Union regiment in Lycoming County. After the war, he married, but soon deserted his wife and left for Nebraska. His first wife made the apparently fatal mistake of trying to follow him and was never seen or heard from again. Hummel claimed that she died in a train wreck. He then deserted a second wife, the same as he had the first, fleeing this time for the frontier. Hummel claimed that while in Kansas, he was robbed and drugged, stuffed into a barrel, and shipped back to Pennsylvania on a freight train. An investigative reporter revealed this story to be a lie. But he did uncover evidence which implicated Hummel in a string of robberies. But most strikingly, a next-door neighbor, Mrs. Cal Schaefer, who lived next door to Sarah and her first husband, Oliver Delaney, came forward with some startling information. According to Mrs. Schaefer, William Hummel had visited the Delaney home on numerous occasions in the months prior to Oliver's death in an attempt to seduce Sarah. And on the first night after Oliver's death, William Hummel threw a rock through the window of the house after Sarah refused to let him in. On Thursday, January 18, 1900, the body of baby Florence was found in a burlap sack buried in Hummel's stable in Black Hole Hollow under a pile of manure. Like her mother, brother, and sister, her head had been bashed in with a blunt, heavy object.
In difficult times, it can be difficult to cope. And during periods of stress, it's natural to want to discuss your anxieties and your fears with someone. So if you're struggling and thinking about talking to someone, it's time to get BetterHelp. BetterHelp is not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so that you can start communicating in under 48 hours. The service is available for clients worldwide. Just log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so that you don't ever have to sit in a waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website to read the testimonials posted daily. Like this BetterHelp user who's been counseling with Jay Swedlaw for two weeks. Jay has helped me focus on my main issues to make life better and make me a better version of myself. He's very understanding and helps me think through situations and helps with solutions. I've been able to really take control of the things I want to do and who I want to be, all because of the advice and help she has given me. She's very understanding and always makes me feel refreshed with a brand new outlook after every session. I trust her so much and I would recommend her to anyone seeking help. Visit betterhelp.com slash murderminute and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, now so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Murder Minute listeners get 10% off their first month when they visit betterhelp.com slash murderminute. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Murder Minute. Betty Broderick thought that she had the perfect life and the perfect marriage until one day in 1989, it all came crashing down. The once traditional housewife murdered her ex-husband and his new wife. From the Los Angeles Times comes a new true crime podcast. It was simple, The Betty Broderick Murders, hosted by award-winning writer and reporter Pat Morrison. If you're a long-time Murder Minute listener, you may remember Betts, the San Diego Stepford wife who took Till Death Do Us Part quite literally. Betty Broderick became something of a hero to any woman who had invested decades into a marriage only to find herself replaced by a younger model. Betts never got over it, and 30 years later, neither have we. Hear from new voices from the years surrounding the murders who spotlight all the critical and controversial points. Divorce, family, insanity, female powerlessness and wealth that still make this case stand out 
in contemporary American society. Every episode will have you asking yourself, how would I react if my relationship split up like this? Is there anything that would drive me to murder? Join Pat in discovering why this 30-year-old case still gets us today. After 30 years, five bullets, two coffins, and one California prison inmate, who's still not sorry, by the way. Why can't we look away from Betty Broderick? Every binge-worthy episode of It Was Simple, The Betty Broderick Murders is available now. So download today from wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. In February of 1900, Hummel's attorneys Horace Shale and J.F. Streeby filed a change of venue petition to have the trial moved to Sunbury in Northumberland County, claiming that Hummel wouldn't get a fair trial in Williamsport. Northumberland had a reputation for letting killers go free. His petition was rejected, and on Wednesday, March 7, 1900, his trial began. The courthouse was reportedly so tightly packed that the judge had to enter through a window. Among the evidence presented at trial was Sarah's skull. Hummel's reaction to her skull made an impression on one reporter from the Philadelphia Inquirer, who reported that Hummel, quote, showed much interest in this, leaning forward, stretching his neck, and dodging around side to side to get a view of it. On March 10th, 1900, a guard at the county prison testified that Hummel asked him, quote, Do you believe in these things which go up and come down and back? Well, my wife came back to me the other night. She made an awful noise. She told me I was in a tight place. Every man has a downfall, and this is mine. Yours will come. The prosecution argued that this strange conversation was a form of confession. The defense objected. But even without a confession, the physical evidence and the testimony from experts and eyewitnesses was enough. The trial came to an end on March 12, 1900, and it didn't take long for the jury to reach their verdict. William Hummel was found guilty of murder in the first degree. Judge Metzger immediately sentenced him to be hanged. Your life is forfeited, and you cannot hope for clemency from the pardoning power, the judge said. Now make your peace with God, for he has the power to save you if you make the proper effort. There is no hope this side of the grave. As William Hummel was being led back to jail, he broke away from the sheriff and rushed into the crowd of spectators in an attempt to kiss one of the women in the crowd. On March 19th, Hummel finally confessed to the murders. He said, 
that it was around three o'clock in the morning on November 17, 1899. Sarah had visited friends, and upon her return they had an argument. Sarah said that she and Hummel were not properly married, since the ceremony had only been performed by the Justice of the Peace, and not an ordained minister. Hummel flew into a rage, and after hours of argument, they went to bed. Hummel then claimed that he woke to find his wife stealing $38 which he kept hidden inside of a downstairs clock. He grabbed an axe and killed her in the upstairs bedroom along with baby Florence, who was laying beside her. John and Olive, who occupied a bed in the same room, were next. Hummel said that none of them cried for help and that the entire act was committed in less than a minute. Hummel then hauled the bodies to his wagon and took them to a spot in a field where he buried them beneath a pile of hay. Later, he realized that, in his haste, the baby's body had fallen out of the wagon on the floor of his shed, so he buried her there. While awaiting his execution, Hummel realized that he had no way of paying his funeral expenses. Hummel requested that the sheriff allow him to hang a curtain over his cell so that he could charge ten cents for visitors to come and look at him. His request was denied. He did, however, manage to strike up a deal with the owner of a local opera house one George H. Bubb. In exchange for burial costs, according to the son, Hummel agreed that his body could be put on display for a fee until Bubb could arrange for a decent burial. Three months went by. In his final weeks, with the sheriff's encouragement, Hummel kept himself occupied with physical activities. He put on boxing gloves and had a 20-minute bout with Deputy Sheriff Joe Smith. The next day, the two men ran a foot race in the prison yard. Hummel won. The sheriff explained his motives to reporters. Some people may not approve of the methods that I have adopted to fix Hummel up, but I claim it's the best possible thing that could be done. We would not want to carry a half-dead man to the gibbet. His crime was such a fiendish one that he should be in the best of condition, physically and mentally, so that he will be able to fully appreciate the extent of his punishment. On June 5, 1900, Hummel finished his last meal, and then asked for a second, saying that he was still hungry. He then reportedly smoked an entire box of cigars and had a shave. Hundreds of people crowded into the prison yard on West 3rd Street to watch his execution. The sheriff charged admission to the hanging at 10 cents a person. Hundreds more crowded the rooftops of neighboring buildings and climbed telephone poles to get a view. Hummel gave a ten-minute speech before he was led to the gallows by Sheriff Gamble. 
At 10.58, the sheriff put the bag over his head and sprung the trap. Hummel's neck was broken, and he died instantly. One newspaper said, quote, It was over in much less time than it takes to write about it. His body was immediately carted off, as arranged, by Mr. Bubb, who had it embalmed and swiftly displayed later that afternoon at the Opera House. He charged 10 cents to view Hummel's body. The exhibition, however, was swiftly shut down by the sheriff after the citizens of Williamsport passionately objected. William Hummel was buried in Joseph Moon's cornfield in Black Hole Valley. Then, on June 18, 1900, almost two weeks after the hanging, the Williamsport Sun ran a story. The headline was, Hummel Grave Was Opened. The grave of murderer William Hummel has been opened, the article said. The gruesome corpse of the man who was hanged and who was buried in a humble grave on the moon farm over in the Black Hole Valley has been gazed upon once more after lying in the tomb just one week. The grave was opened Wednesday evening of this week, and it is said that 30 or 40 persons stood around the hole in the ground that contained the remains of the murderer and looked with awe upon the face of the dead. Immediately following Hummel's death, conspiracy theories began to spread that it wasn't really Hummel in the coffin, that someone else was hanged, and that Hummel was still on the loose. In order to lay matters to rest, they all agreed that the only way to know for sure was to dig him up and check. They dug up the grave, and a local man, John Towney, went down into the hole and opened the coffin. Towney confirmed that it was, in fact, William Hummel. The townspeople were satisfied. They reburied the body and left Hummel in the field. This has been Murder Minute. For True Crime Anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.